Living by the Book is our theme for this year, 2013. Uh, seems like we just started the other day, but we're almost done with the year, just about done with uh, the 11th month and uh, our fifth series, I believe, we're on now. Uh, we've talked a lot about different things that we can do to live by the book, and we trust it to be God's Word and the infallible guide for life. So we've looked at a number of different topics and gone back to the book uh, to see how it says we should live in that situation. This series that we're working on uh, today is called Growing Old by the Book. Uh, there's quite a few folks in here growing old. Actually, everybody in here is growing old. Some just have a head start on the others, uh, but we're all growing old. But this is specifically uh, designed for those who are in the senior years. Uh, it was a requested topic uh, for a number of years. I've had people say, you know, talk about growing old sometime and the special uh, difficulties and situations there. And so I'm attempting to do that uh, to some degree in this series. We're covering four topics in this series. We looked at the fact of growing old. Uh, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Uh, physically, we're going to get older. Uh, the purpose of growing old, we looked at last week. And we found a number of purposes for growing old, uh, the hope of growing old today, and then next time we're together, the goal of growing old. Last week, we talked about the purpose of growing old, and we tried to answer the question, uh, why does God let us grow old? Uh, there's all these difficulties that we learned when we talked about the fact of growing old. Uh, things get harder, and it's not easy, and it's tough, it's a Get to the point where Solomon said, you have no pleasure in these years. Uh, so if it's that difficult, why has God let us uh, get into that shape? Well, we found eight that we talked about last time. Uh, it, getting old is a connection to the past. Young people can connect to the past by talking to those who are old. Uh, old people get to exercise wisdom. You gain wisdom by having experiences, and we get to display that and exercise it when we're old. Uh, old people get to teach the Word, uh, but it's applied. They've lived it. They've seen it. They can say, this is how that worked in my life. Old people get to demonstrate a proven faith. It's one thing to read about faith and talk about it in theory, uh, but it's another thing to have gone through it and seen how faith works. Old people get to influence their family. Uh, grandchildren are a, a crown of glory, the Bible says. And on beyond that, many people have the opportunity to influence their family. Uh, we said that we grow old to show the sacred nature of life and death. Uh, we get to see the life cycle lived out as we watch someone grow old. And it teaches us a lot about the sacred nature of that. Growing old prepares us for heaven. It makes heaven nearer and dearer the older we get. And the growing old is a way to glorify God. And we'll talk about that more in our final <coughs> lesson in this. But uh, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of purposes for growing old. All right, today, the hope of growing old. Now, I've already told you we're going to talk about heaven uh, that's not the perfect description for the, the hope of growing old, but it kind of sums it up. Uh, we sang a few heaven songs today. Heaven's called Zion and lots of different things in Scripture and in our songs. Uh, we sang a few heaven songs, and all of those were old songs. 
we don't have a whole lot of new songs about heaven. I got a few, but not that many. Uh, I think the reason is uh, we're too comfortable here. Uh, the folks that wrote songs about heaven uh, looked forward to it because things were pretty tough. I think when you're a slave, you tend to think more about heaven. I think when you're uh, so poor that you really are satisfied with just a cottage below, then you write songs about heaven. Well, now we all have more than just cottages, and maybe we're a little too comfortable here, and we don't write so many heaven songs. Uh, I think I like heaven songs more the, the older I get, and I'm sure the old folks that I'm talking to would say the same thing. There's a reason for that, and that's what we're talking about today. Uh, the hope of growing old. Now, I ask on the handout exactly, what is the hope of growing old? Well, let's see if we can find out. Second Corinthians 4, which was already read for you, says this. Now, pay attention here. Some folks tune in when the stories are told and the jokes are told and all that. And when Scripture's read, they kind of tune out. Now, this is where you learn stuff. Okay, uh, This is the, the stuff straight from God. Okay. This is where we really understand and learn what we're talking about. So pay attention to Scripture, especially this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, and he's been talking about how we've got death in our bodies. And we've talked about that in the fact of growing old. He said, therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed Day by day. Okay, now there's a conundrum. We're, we're wasting away outwardly the fact of growing old. Solomon detailed that for us in pretty good clarity. Paul says we're doing that, but inwardly we're renewed. That's that young spirit we were talking about the first time. Well, how are we renewed? Why are we renewed? Here's the answer. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is not, not, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In the next verse, he compares this old body to a tent. He said, we know when this old tent falls apart, we got a better one. We've got a better house. Okay. So what he's saying here is, even though the fact of growing old is true, inside we're renewed day by day because those troubles, those bad things that are happening, all the facts of growing old, they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Okay. Now, glory... Those of you that went to the citywide assembly a couple of weeks ago understand this a whole lot better than the rest of you. Okay? Brother Hufford told us this word, and this is the word doxa, it, it means a lot more than just glory to us. It's, the, it's everything about God. It's Him completely. It's His honor, perhaps a better word, but it's the totality of, 
of his greatness and the majesty of all his perfection. That's what we're earning. That's what we're achieving by growing old. Romans 8 says it just a little bit differently. Romans 8 and verse 18, Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the, with the glory that will be revealed in us. That glory that's coming, that eternal glory that we're achieving, it's so much better. It's not even worth talking about our present sufferings. Now, folks, that's an amazing statement. Both of those scriptures are fantastically amazing, especially if you're going through the facts of growing old. Our present sufferings. That was Paul talking. You know what his list was? I know yours are bad, but you know what Paul's list was? Paul said, I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death. I've been beaten 39 stripes five times. The Romans did that to me. Five times. I've been beaten with rods three times. I've been stoned. They tried to kill me. I've been shipwrecked three times. One time I floated in the ocean for 24 hours before I was rescued. Now, that's a list, folks. Okay, But I know in some sense, and especially in your life, yours may be worse. I mean... Those things, he was on, he was doing mission work. He, he, he knew God was with him. He knew he was doing it for a great purpose and all of that. I can see kind of how you'd get through, well, I, I get through one flogging maybe. I don't know about five. I don't know about three beaten with rods. I don't know about all that. But in some sense, our present sufferings may be worse. I mean, if you've got continual chronic pain. If the doctor tells you it's uncurable, or if the doctor says we can cure this, but to cure what you've got, we're going to give you some chemicals and some radiation and some stuff that kills you. Well, it'll kill part of your body. Well, it'll feel like it's killing all your body, but it, we're just going to kill part of it. Or, or if you're living through loneliness, or you've been betrayed by somebody, or if you've got ungrateful kids. I mean, on and on, we can make a list. And in some ways, maybe they're worse than Paul's list. But I don't care if it's Paul's list or yours list, your list. What Paul says is, all of that is light and momentary. And it is not worth talking about. Not worth comparing to eternal glory. That's quite a thought. John Quincy Adams, when he was late in life, somebody asked him how he was doing. And he said, oh, John Quincy Adams is well, sir, very well. The house in which he's been living is dilapidated and old and He's received word from its maker that he must vacate soon. But John Quincy Adams is well, sir, very well. That's what this is talking about. That's what we're on today. When this old tent 
is dilapidated, when it's falling apart, when we know we've got to move out pretty soon, we can be well served very well because of that hope of glory. The sermon title is, is The Hope of Growing Old. And I said on your handout, what is the hope of growing old? The answer. The answer, the hope of growing old is eternal glory. Eternal, and it'll never end, it's forever. And that glory that we talked about that we can't even describe of being in the presence of God and the totality of His majesty and everything that He has prepared for us. We call that heaven. We can shorthand that. It's really more than heaven. But it's a good way to talk about it. So we're going to talk about heaven a little bit this morning. People are really interested in heaven. We've been answering questions on TV for over a quarter of a century, and people have always been interested in heaven. Uh, On Know Your Bible, they ask all kinds of questions like this. What will we do in heaven? Uh, Will we recognize our loved ones in heaven? What about relationships? What if somebody's been married twice or three times or or something? What's going to happen in heaven there? How's that relationship going to work out? People want to know, will pets go to heaven? Those are just some of the questions we get. Now, I'm not going to take time to answer those, but, well, I'll answer them for you quickly. The answers are, I don't know, probably, I don't know, and dogs only. <laughs> Actually, uh, the, <laughs> we don't know about a lot of these. I mean, we've got some clues. We've got some uh, indications. What do we do in heaven? Uh, I don't think it's going to be an endless row of hammocks and recliners, and we just sit around and rest all the time. I don't think we're going to sing for 24-7 uh, all the time. Uh, it talks about it being a banquet, being a feast. Are we going to eat? Uh, we, we don't know what the spiritual body is going to like, be like. Jesus ate in his spiritual body, uh, so maybe we will. In fact, I'm not really sure you can get that many Christians together without a potluck. You know, I mean, you <laughs> you, you got to have those kind of things. Um, so we don't know a lot of that. We're just not told. Uh, I think we might have some work to do, something to keep us uh, to. Give us something to do in one sense. Adam and Eve worked before the punishment, before it became toilsome, before it became uh, difficult. They enjoyed it so much, it, it, it wasn't what we'd call work, but God called it tending the garden. There's some things that you do that are work that you just love, and time just flies, and you don't call it work. We may have something like that to do. I don't know. The Bible just doesn't tell us much about that. I think we will recognize our loved ones in heaven. We're not told specifically, but there's every indication that we will. I think that will be part of the joy, the reunion of seeing people that uh, we've been separated from by death or that we've been separated from in this life. Well, we've got lots of old friends from places we used to live that that we hadn't seen them in 20, 30, 40 years. It would be a great reunion if I could see them tomorrow. But when we get to heaven, we'll see everybody like that. Yeah, and I think there's indications that we'll 
we'll know our loved ones. Uh, what about relationships? What if somebody's had two marriages or something? Uh, that's a Bible question, by the way. The Sadducees tried to trap Jesus with that. They didn't believe in a resurrection, so they said, well, here's this woman. She's had seven husbands. When she, if there's a heaven, whose wife's she going to be? You know what Jesus said? You don't understand. That's a dumb question. Because heaven is different. Heaven's different. It is not like this place in many ways. He said, angels don't marry. But mainly he just said, heaven's just different. I think that's the answer to a lot of these questions. Will pets go to heaven? I don't think so. There's no indication they have an eternal soul. That man is different than the, the other created beings. Uh, I don't think so, but it'd be okay with me. I mean, I'm not even going to be allergic to cats there. So, you know, I can even put up with that. But a lot of that we don't know. But the, the key to answering all of those wonder kind of questions, let me, let me give you two verses that I think answer all of those. One is Isaiah 65, 17. Write that down. Isaiah 65, 17. I don't think I put it on the handout. God prophesied through Isaiah, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. And listen to what he said about them. He said, the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. It's going to be so good that you won't even think about the old one. It will never enter your mind. I don't know how that's going to work, but that's what God said. We take our grandkids on vacation once a year and uh, get the five of them and go someplace. And sometimes during the year, they'll get to talking about which one was the best, which vacation was the best, what was your favorite. Now, they rarely talk about that while we're on grandkid vacation. Because while you're in the middle of one, while you're on it, it's so good that you, you don't really think about the old ones. And during the year, sometimes they'll talk about it. Isaiah said, heaven is going to be so good that the old ways will not even be remembered, nor will they ever come to your mind. That, that's the magnitude of the change here. The magnitude of the difference. I don't know how he's going to work out all the things about what we remember and what we don't. But what we're in is going to be so much better than what we were in that it won't come to our mind somehow. Okay, that's one verse, Isaiah 65, 17. Here's the other one, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. What God has prepared for those who love him. Okay? What Paul is saying there is the rest of my sermon is going to be futile. Because I'm going to try to describe heaven a little bit. Paul says you can't do it. He said nobody's seen it. Nobody's heard of any such thing. And no mind has conceived of it. What he tells us in the Bible is just a faint picture of the eternal glory that we'll be achieving. So I'm going to try to describe heaven and after death a little bit, but I know I'm not even going to be close. 
but it is still the hope of growing old. So as we talk about, let's start with this. What happens when we die? Well, Solomon answered that for us. He said, now I'm talking about after we've gone through old age or some people passed before that, but if we live a normal life, we're going to go through that fact of growing old and then we're going to achieve the hope of eternal glory. So what's all that going to look like? What order does it happen? I'm just going to try to go through it real quickly. Ecclesiastes 12.7, Solomon said, The dust returns to the ground from where it came, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. At the moment of death, there's a separation between the spiritual us and our physical body. Okay? The spirit goes to God. We know what happens to the body. We either bury it and it slowly decays or we burn it and it quickly decays. It may be lost at sea. It may be exploded into bits in an explosion like on 9-11. Whatever happens at that moment, the spirit leaves and the body returns to dust slowly, quickly, however. That's what happens at death. Now, that leads to a little harder question. Where does our spirit go? Uh, where, where does our spirit go? Now, let me tell you, I preached a funeral one time, and generally at funerals I talk about uh, the person going to heaven and things like that. And, and so I talked about that a little bit. I said something about heaven and meeting his loved ones and all that. And afterwards, an aged sister came up to me uh, from another congregation, by the way. So it wasn't from here. But she came up. She said, I thought I heard you say he's in heaven. I know you didn't say that. Because we don't go to heaven when we die. Uh, we got to wait. We got to wait for the second coming. We go somewhere else. And then then we go to heaven at the second coming. I said, well... Okay, you've got it all figured out, that's fine. Okay. Now, she's been taught that, and that's the general answer we give when we get asked, where does our spirit go? Uh, one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when that separation happens, wherever the spirit goes, it's at home with the Lord. Now, some people teach there's a holding area, a a soul sleep or something they call it, an intermediate state. Some people teach about purgatory and all that. None of that's Bible. This is about all we know, 2 Corinthians 5. If you're away from the body, when that separation happens, you go home with the Lord. Now, there's two stories in the Bible that give us a little clue. One story is uh, Luke 16, story of the rich man and the beggar. I think it's a true story. Rich man, beggar, died. Rich man went to a place of torment. Beggar went to Abraham's bosom, it's called. Uh, The place of the dead is what Hades means. They were in two separate compartments. There was a gulf between. They couldn't cross over, but they could communicate. They They knew a lot of things. But they were in these two different places. Okay? Uh, the other story is Jesus on the cross with the thief. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Okay. So the best way we can put this together, the best way I can put it together, is that Hades is the place of the dead. When you die, your spirit goes to this place, and there's a good side and a bad side. There's paradise and torment. But neither, it's not hell. It's a place of torment because the consignment to hell comes later. So that's where this doctrine of this uh, uh, place of the dead where we're waiting in a sense. And so I think that's the best explanation we can come up with probably. But it's not like we're in paradise with... It's, it's the throne room of God somehow because we're with the Lord. Um, Psalm 23, David said, I'm going to, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, so we're going to be with the Lord. Okay? Now, I, there's more of the story coming, but we're going to be with the Lord. We're in his throne room. Uh, and that's really, really, really good, but it's going to get better. It's going to get better. I don't think that's the eternal glory completely yet. We're getting close. Okay. So that happens after death. Now, at some point, where we are, at some point, Jesus is going to come back. Okay. So that's the next question. What's going to happen on the day of the Lord? The Bible all the way through talks about the day of the Lord. You better be ready for the day of the Lord. There's going to be some stuff happening on the day of the Lord. First Thessalonians describes it pretty well. First Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17. Listen to Paul. According to the Lord's word. Remember, this is where you learn stuff now. Out of scripture. Not what I think or guess or anything else. This is what Paul says. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we are, who are still alive. Okay. Now, Thessalonians were worried about this. Because people had been dying, and Jesus hadn't come back yet. They'd had to bury some of them. And Paul said, don't worry about it. Here's what's going to happen. We who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. So there's going to be some folks alive when Jesus comes back. Centuries of people are dead already, but when Jesus comes back, wherever that is, if he comes back this afternoon, we will be alive. We'll be in this batch that Paul's talking about. And those of us who are left alive will certainly not Did I lose it? Maybe he did come back. I <laughs> thought I was gone for a minute. Whew. I was sorry. I was sorry the rest of you weren't coming with me. <laughs> All right, we're back. Uh, he says those who are alive when Jesus comes back won't proceed, won't get to go to eternal glory. Is this thing loose or what? Let me use this one. Okay, I'll stay close to this one here. I'll try. Um, let me turn this one off. Just, yeah, it even went red. If I'd looked at my color code, I'd know it was off. Okay, here we go. Uh, still alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And that's the bodies 
will, will be come, come out of the tombs, out of wherever they are. They'll be put back together. They're going to rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, that's verses 15 through 17. And you're thinking, hold it, all you did was raise the physical body. That's right. That's all he talked about here. But in verse 14, he said, we are confident that God will bring with Jesus those who sleep in him. He's going to bring the spirits, the disembodied spirits, back to reunite with their body. And then we who are alive will join those rebodied spirits and go to be with the Lord. Now those bodies, I said, are going to come out of the grave. They're going to come out of the sea. They're going to come out of the urn where the ashes are. Uh, They're going to come out of where they were melted into the steel on 9-11. Wherever they are, the Creator is going to recreate them. You say, man, that's going to be hard. No, it isn't for the Creator. He created them out of dust to start with. This is no problem. He's going to get them back together. He's going to reunite them with their spirit. And you say, well, what's that going to, what's that going to look like? I, I don't know. It's going to be different. Paul tried to explain that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, what you bury is going to be different than what raised. And he said, what's buried is perishable. What's raised will be imperishable. He compares it to a seed and a plant. He said, what's sown is sown in dishonor. What's raised will be raised in glory. What's sown is sown in weakness. What's raised will be raised in power. What's sown is sown a natural body. What's raised will be a spiritual body. There's the difference. It's going to be spiritual somehow. Jesus' spiritual body, when he was raised, people recognized him. It was different. He seemed to be able to do physical things that we can't do in our physical body. But we just don't know what that's going to look like or how it's going to function. But it's going to be perfectly fit for the spiritual world we're going to. Now, that's going to happen. And simultaneously, or the instant after, all of this is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, so I don't think we can put a time frame on it. But simultaneously, 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So so once the uh, physical bodies, the dead physical bodies, are reunited with the spiritual bodies, and those of us who are alive have left, and the wicked dead are also going to be raised at the same time, they're raised, they're they're going to judgment, and then this heaven, this earth, is going to be destroyed. It's going to be vaporized. It's going away. And then... The judgment is going to happen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This John got to see some of this. He's got the only clue that we have, really, what it's going to be like. He said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea had given up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus described it in Matthew 25 this way. He said he was going to separate us, some on the right and some on the left. And on the right to them, he was going to say, come, take your inheritance. And to the ones on the left, he was going to say, depart into eternal fire that I prepared for the devil and the angels. We call it the judgment. It's really more of a sentencing if we understand that at death, all of that is settled. At death... Our spirit goes to either the paradise or the place of torment. And this is the sentencing. This is when the eternal glory is finally going to be given to us. Jesus said in Matthew 25, uh, then they will go away, the ones on the left, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. As we are now... Reunited with our body, we're rebodied in our spirits, and as we're welcomed into heaven, what will heaven be like? We've been in the throne room of God somehow, but now it's talking about something different. Listen to what John said, Revelation 21. This is what he said he saw. Now remember, heaven and earth has been vaporized; it's been it's gone. John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. There's going to be a new place. A new heaven and a new earth. Now some people have a doctrine that it's going to be this earth. Rebuilt somehow. And if he wants to do that, that's okay. But John describes the new heaven and the new earth as a holy city. As the new Jerusalem. He says the dimensions of it are 1,500 miles on each side. He gives us pictures just to try to tell us the glory. Remember, nobody can describe it. But he says, he describes the walls and the gates as all kinds of jewels. He describes the streets as gold and the river as crystal and, and on and on he describes all of these things. It will be a new place that is fit for spiritual bodies. Or a better way to say it is our spiritual bodies will fit for this new spiritual place. It, it's going to be a physical place, folks. It's not just going to be a spirit world where nobody sees anything. It's going to be 
perfect. Think about this. God originally created this earth, this universe, in seven days. Jesus has been working on this one for 2,000 years. He's preparing it. It's going to come down somehow and meet those who have been given their eternal reward. We know a lot more about what won't be there than what will be there. We're told over and over in this passage and others that there's going to be no darkness. There's going to be no night, no sun, no moon, no lamps, because we don't need any of that light. There's going to be no danger. There's going to be no physical discomfort. Listen to this. There's going to be no sin or the effects of sin. There's going to be no death. What makes this life tough? Growing old makes it tough. But sin and the effects of sin make this life really tough. Death make it tough. Having to part from those we love makes it tough. None of that's going to be there. We don't know exactly what it's going to be all like, but say it this way, none of what makes this life hard is going to be there. In fact, it makes it a little clearer where Isaiah said, it's going to be so good, you won't even think of this place. It'll never enter your mind. Now, remember where we started? 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Look at the middle of that. Growing old, folks. Your light and momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What we have waiting, exactly what it'll be like, I, I can't tell you. I, can't, I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. My mind couldn't conceive of it if I did. I think if you ask John how accurately did you describe what you saw, I did the best I could. But it was too much. It was too much. I, can't, I couldn't handle it. Well, you can go to places on this earth and you come back and you can't convey how beautiful it was. You can't convey what it was like. You can try. You can do the best you can. You can show pictures. But when you show those pictures, what do you say? It was a lot prettier than this. Oh, it was better than this. I mean, we understand that physically. And think about this eternal glory that he's got prepared for us. If you are old, I believe the hope of eternal glory should sustain you. That's how we get through this growing old thing, is that hope that we have. Next time, we're going to talk about the goal of growing old. Now, I said if you're old, what we just talked about should sustain you. If you're young or old, that hope ought to make a difference in your life. That hope should cause you to well, it should change the way you live. In fact, Peter said that. He described some of this. And when he was done, he said, now since that's going to happen, since this world's going to be destroyed in that way, what kind of people should you be? How should you live? Well, you should live so you have that hope of eternal glory. Remember that one part, the judgment time of the scene? What was opened? The book of life. If your name wasn't written in the book of life, you went to the eternal lake of fire with the devil and his angels. If you were written in the book of life, you went to this eternal glory.
That's a sobering thought, folks. Is your name written in the book of life? This concept of eternal glory should, should make us question that. And not just the, the book of life. Understand that that is settled when your spirit and body are separated. That's settled at the time of death. We're going to sing a song called When We All Get to Heaven. I wish that song was completely true. But we won't all get to heaven. In this larger group, there's some whose names are not written in the book of life. I don't know all the reasons. I don't know why you're waiting. I don't know why you delay. But if you can't sing this next song with confidence, when we all get to heaven, when we receive that eternal glory, if you can't sing that with confidence, I beg you to take care of it today. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.